This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 342, Flashback to Daredevil Batlinger at Murdoch. Welcome to the Comic Shenanigans podcast. This is episode 342. I am your host, Adam Chapman, and today we're talking about a miniseries, Daredevil Battle and Jack Murdoch. This was originally published under the Marvel Knights, um, I guess, publishing banner, although not Marvel Knights as we think of. Usually when we think of Marvel Knights, we're thinking of the late 90s, early 2000s run of Marvel Knights, originally started by Jimmy Palmiotti and uh, Joe Quesada, um, and it was originally, I'm trying to remember the four books, I believe it was Inhumans, The Punisher, Black Panther, and Daredevil, uh, of which uh, Black Panther uh, was a very well-received book by uh, Christopher Priest, and then you had Daredevil by Kevin Smith and Joe Quesada originally, a Punisher book that less is said than the better, um, which eventually later on would eventually lead to the Welcome Back Frank storyline, but first they had to make uh, the Punisher into an angel, and it was not very well received. And then following that, we also had the Inhumans book, which was a mini, I, I, sorry, a 12-issue series, and I believe it was always meant to be finite. Uh, so that was the original Marvel Knights run. But later on, uh, more, I think, kind of the mid to late 2000s, the Marvel Knights brand was still out there, but not really being used much. Um, you might remember there was a Marvel Knights Spider-Man book in the mid early... I guess that was kind of like the, the mid-2000s. Um, I want to say the early mid-2000s, which isn't a real thing at all. Uh, that was written by Mark Millar. Um, but uh, eventually, you know, they started doing miniseries under the Marvel Knights banner, and that's kind of all we got. Uh, was these miniseries. We didn't really get much else. Uh, There's no real ongoing books anymore. Uh, and so this book that I'm talking about, this uh, Daredevil Batlin Jack Murdoch book, was uh, in that, that kind of period when they were doing uh, miniseries uh, books like that. Uh, if I'm looking at, let's see, the, the different books that were published during Marvel Knights, um, let's see, the, the last few books we got were in 2013, there was um, uh, Marvel Knights Hulk, Marvel Knights Spider-Man, and Marvel Knights X-Men, which I don't even recall happening. Uh, prior to that, in 2010, there was uh, Deadpool Wade Wilson's War, uh, which is a four-issue limited series, Deathlock, a seven-issue limited series, and Spider-Man Fever, a three-issue limited series. Uh, 2009, there was uh, the Punisher War Zone, six-issue limited series. 2008 saw the X-Men Magneto Testament, um, which is an absolutely fantastic book. If you haven't read it, you really should, by Greg Pak and Carmine DiGiomenico. Uh, it's just absolutely brilliant. Uh, and then there, there was a bunch of miniseries done in 2008 and 2007, because that's really all that was kind of going on at that point in time. It been basically a place for miniseries. The last ongoing series to actually be published through Marvel Knights was uh, Black Panther, uh, and this was twenty sorry two thousand five to two thousand six. And I believe this was originally it was by Reginald Hudlin, and then eventually it transitioned over to not being part of Marvel Knights anymore, as it became more part of Marvel proper. As every book kind of left being under the the banner of Marvel Knights um, pr- prior to that, and that was you know. April 2005 to April 2006. Uh, the year before, or uh, ending in 2005, you had District X, uh, and then the, I think Wolverine, actually, sorry, I'm wrong, Wolverine, uh, before it became, I believe, Wolverine Origins, um, up until issue 39 was also part of 
um, Marvel Knights. So I guess 2006 is basically the jumping off point in terms of ongoing series, and then it became exclusively miniseries. I remember there was Submariner the Depths, and then there was also, as I said, Daredevil, Batman, Jack Murdoch, which is what I wanted to talk about today. Uh, just because uh, I like doing these kind of flashback episodes where we talk about, you know, different things I've read and what's interesting about something like this is this is not nearly as far back a flashback obviously uh, this is going back uh, to 2007 which is I mean it doesn't feel like this is that old a book but it's actually nine years old which is freaking crazy because it doesn't feel like it's been that long since I read it it doesn't feel like it's been that long since I've been enjoying Carmine DiGiomenico's work and I think this might actually be one of the first things I read from him um, he is just an amazing storyteller. Um, two of the, my favorite things that he did, uh, was, um, uh, the Magneto Testament that I've already mentioned, as well as Batman Jack Murdoch. Uh, he's just an immensely talented artist. Uh, but those specifically have been my, the, my two favorite things that he's done. Uh, so let's talk about Batman Jack Murdoch. So why is this worth talking about at all? Well, first of all, uh, if you want to buy it, it's four uh, issues that came out, as I said, uh, in 2007. Uh, or you can buy a trade paperback. It might be out of print, but I'm sure it's not that difficult to get your hands on. Um, it's, in- it's interesting. Now, this is totally um, a context thing. So, again, I'm a... Uh, because this is a flashback, I'm going to talk about my own context of this book. I picked up the singles, and then a couple of years later, I think I finally picked up the trade paperback because I wanted to be able to have it on my bookshelf because it's worth giving to people to read. It's a fantastic book. Um, now, it's interesting. This is, it had a parental advisory, I guess, for the violence. Uh, now, 2007, so I'm a Canadian, so 2007 means something to me. Uh, because in 2007, uh, the Canadian dollar, um, which was r- really had, you know, been, I think its lowest point was in 2002. So by 2007, uh, especially with everything that was happening in 2007 in the markets and in the, um, the housing markets, specifically in the States, uh, the U.S. dollar was weakening and the Canadian dollar was suddenly getting very strong. So the Canadian dollar actually uh, reached parity. So there used to be a point where um, if you wanted to buy a U.S. dollar or if you had a U.S. dollar and you were converting into can- Canadian, I think you got an extra 45 cents or something ridiculous. Uh, at the time, it was ridiculous anyway. Uh, and then suddenly in 2007, um, the dollar reached parity, and for a while, the Canadian dollar was actually worth more. So uh, if you had, if you wanted to buy a Canadian dollar, you'd just spend like a dollar ten U.S. I think it was the highest it ever went to, which was a big reversal of the fortune for Canadians. Now, anyone who follows the Canadian loony these days, uh, and loony is basically our word for our dollar. Uh, specifically, we have a $1 coin. We do not have a bill. We have a $1 coin, uh, which has uh, a loon on it, or which is why it's called the loony. Uh, so nowadays, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's gone down significantly. But during this brief period, uh, for about a year or so, uh, it was above parity, which is very exciting for Canadians. Uh, if I could go back in time, I would buy a shitload of U.S. cash, because nowadays, uh, if you want to buy a U.S. dollar with Canadian currency, again, you're spending about $1.45 uh, to buy a dollar of U.S., so it's, it's getting expensive for us. Uh, I, why do I bring this up at all? So I'm looking at this trade paperback. I'm flipping it back and forth. I look on the back. So it's $12.99 US. Now, it used to be that they adjusted prices uh, and had a Canadian price on it. Now, 
by 2007, again, this came out in 2007, the dollar started to change. Well, it took a long time before they ever adjusted the prices, and even then, they were really indicative of what was really going on in the market. And this is what pissed off a lot of Canadian consumers, and which is why a lot of people started buying trade paperbacks from Amazon, because they would actually give a price that was more fair, as opposed to the price on the back of this book. Like, I, You would not go into a comic book shop and buy this comic, because you're like, well, why is it going to cost me another $8 if, at the same time, my dollar is actually worth more than the Canadian dollar. So why am I being charged this? It's because they, they did not routinely change the prices uh, for conversion. So I remember that's what really led people to start abandoning comic book shops for trade paperback buying just because Amazon gave prices that were well below. Uh, so like, why would you ever want to pay uh, a higher price? It was worse in Canada, obviously, because you had these inflated U.S. cover prices, which just didn't make any sense. Uh, if you could go on Amazon, they would give you something much closer to the American price. Uh, sorry for that very long diversion. Um, for my American audience, you've now gotten a, a history lesson on the Canadian dollar, which you never asked for and never wanted. Uh, so, Batlin Jack Murdoch. Well, what's very interesting about this book is that uh, it's, a, it's an origin story for Daredevil, kind of. I mean, it is, but really, this is an origin story for Batlin Jack Murdoch, for Daredevil's dad. Uh, it's what sets this book apart, which is what makes it different and gives it a different uh, perspective than pretty much any other Daredevil story you've ever seen. It's written by Zeb Wells, who does an absolutely brilliant job with the script, and the art, as I said, is by Carmine DJ Domenico. And this is when I really started uh, taking notice of his art and then. I think that it was the following year he did, um, as I said, the um, uh, Magneto Testament, which was also just absolutely gorgeous. Uh, so he's just a, a really fascinating artist to kind of look at the stuff he's done. He's got such a great style. He's a true storyteller, um, like he, which I don't want to put down other artists, but there are some artists who are more of a pin-up artist and not so much on actually portraying a story. Uh, but with Carmine DJ Domenico, you, you, he's just a brilliant way in the way he lays out stories, and it's just it's it's something else entirely. Uh, I'm just kind of I'm looking at Comic Book DB right now, which is a great website, especially for uh, chronologically listing someone's uh, work in the comic book field. Um, so it looks like um, he did Amazing Fantasy 13 and 14 in December 2005. Uh, then he did Amazing Fantasy 216 in 2006. Uh, he did an Untold Tales of the New Universe Justice one-shot, uh, also 2006. He did a What If Wolverine Enemy of the State, which I forgot that he did that. But yeah, I, at the time, I don't think I took a lot of notice. And then later in that year, he did Battle of Jack Murdoch, which is when I most definitely took notice and, were, and thought, this is a guy you have to you know kind of sit up and take notice of this guy. His artwork is absolutely amazing. Uh, from there, he did an Avengers Initiative Annual. Then he did, as I said, the Magneto Testament. He did a Spider-Man Noir. I always forget he did that, um, which was you know in 2009. Uh, so these and again, in our, that was part of the kind of the noir series of books. Uh, these were all fantastic uh, books and miniseries to read. Uh, his first regular book, I don't believe, uh, was in, he did an issue of uh, Iron Man 2.0. I don't even remember that at all. I think he only did a couple issues of that. Um, and then he did uh, Journey into Mystery. It was great on that, uh, right near the kind of tail end of it being about um, Kid Loki uh, before it transitioned, I think, into being a Sif-centric book during Marvel Now. 
Uh, and then he took over, um, well, not took over, he started as the artist of All New X Factor uh, in 2014 with uh, Peter David. Uh, that is a great book, uh, and he did amazing art there. Last year he did Avengers Millennium, as well as the recent Extinction Agenda Secret Wars um, tie-in miniseries. Uh, and then recently he did uh, a couple issues of We Are Robin over at DC. But he's he's an artist that when I see his name on a book, it definitely makes me want to pick up that book. Uh, so this book is an origin story for uh, Daredevil's dad, which is what makes it unique. Um, it's it's a really kind of interesting story because we've we've only ever gotten to see certain versions of Jack Murdoch. We've got to see you know him as you know the drunk. Uh, him as the the guy who's kind of trying to fight for redemption, uh, trying to do right by his son. We have the the Miller version is a little rougher, and him being rougher with his son. You have the more sanitized version where they don't always go right to him being violent with his son, at least not to the point that Miller does uh, in uh, Man Without Fear. But that this is a deeply flawed man who, at the end of his life. Um, he did the right thing, and he paid for it. Uh, and he has always been a huge part of the Daredevil mythos uh, because of the sense of family uh, that Daredevil has and the fact that he's always kind of living in his father's shadow. This miniseries changes things. It, it changes things, and it doesn't. If you never read it, it's you know you're you're not necessarily missing. Well, you're missing a great story, but you're not missing something intrinsically that changes anything that you've seen in terms of how Daredevil views his father. Um, but if you read it, it changes how um, Jack Murdoch views himself, and it changes the context of how he dies and how he goes out, and is much more triumphant in its own way. Um, I almost don't even want to spoil it, but I'm going to spoil it, so I apologize. But you should go read this book. Um, the way it's basically set up in each issue is, is kind of like a different round. Like you see uh, Jack being you know beaten up during his last fight, and then you have these flashbacks to his um, you know his life as a younger man, uh, his time with uh, his his wife who kind of left him, uh, and then you know kind of brought this this kid back. You see the most adorable version of Josie that you're ever going to see. Uh, Josie is. If fans of the uh, Millar, uh, sorry, Millar, of the Frank Miller run of Daredevil in particular will remember that they're always at Josie's bar. And Josie's always portrayed as much being a very kind of hardened, hardened woman, older, uh, definitely has been through a lot. Uh, whereas the Rosie we see here is a very young waitress uh, who works at a bar, uh, full of life um, and hope, who falls in love with Jack Murdoch and does what she can to kind of help him and be there for him. And it's, it's really tremendous. And the way that Zeb Wells builds that relationship, it makes you believe in Jack, uh, even though he goes through these, these, these terrible periods. Um, you know, him struggling as a father, him struggling as potentially a romantic match for, for Josie, um, him thinking that he's not good enough for anyone. Um, you know, th- there's just a great sense of you really get to know who Jack is outside of just being, you know, Daredevil's dad and just being this. It's kind of like if you, I mean, I'm sure there have been, but it's like getting a, a really good story about Thomas and Martha Wayne without it being about Bruce at all. Like, Bruce would be there just like Matt's here. Matt's around. He's he's growing up as a kid, and obviously he has a huge impact on his father. But at the end of the day, this is not Matt's story. This is Jack's story. Um, Matt's around. Matt's, you know, figuring out his abilities, um... You know he's he's getting into scrapes. He's he's starting to kind of explore who he will later be. But we're not 
it's not about Matt. This isn't. A, I mean, the fact that it's even called Daredevil Batman Jack Murdoch, it's about Batman Jack Murdoch, and they put the Daredevil name on it just to sell it. Um, which is kind of what makes me more impressed with Marvel from this period is that they were doing stuff that was a little bit different. I mean, X Men Magneto Testament. Uh, you'd think, well, that's kind of a, a, a no-brainer to do a, a Magneto story um, set in World War II. Yeah, it sounds like a no-brainer, but it had never really been done in this way. And if you look at Magneto Testament, and maybe I'll, I'll flash back to this, uh, that miniseries in a later episode, uh, it's tremendously well-researched, and it feels authentic. And Greg Pak, uh, there's parts in the hardcover where he talks about how he, how he approached that book that he wanted to tell a specific type of story. And it even, he kind of has, um, there's notes in the hardcover on how to teach it to a class. Like, it's very much, it's something you could teach to people. Yes, it's about a super, you know, well, villain, but it's about a super-powered character, but it is never about the superpowers. Well, this book is not really about Matt Murdock and him having superpowers and who he's going to be as Daredevil. It's about his dad, and it's about um, the relationship between a father and a son. It's a relationship between a man and a woman who abandoned him and left him with a child. It's about uh, a man who never thought he was good enough, um, who wanted to be somebody, and he let himself fall on hard times, and he finally goes out on his terms. Uh, it, it's a very deep, character-centric story, which, to be honest, is not something you would, not something that should be a surprise because Zeb Wells excels at character work, uh, and the and the storytelling by DJ Domenico uh, really helps sell that story. Um, I want to talk about the ending, and I, I know I probably shouldn't, but it's part of what makes this book really like sing. Like it's such, it's already so good, but by the end, you're you're right there with with Jack, and when he um, he you know uh, is able to win in the final round, the reason why he's able to kind of say Matt's okay, Matt doesn't need me, is because they basically show that be, in this version. He knows that Matt has superpowers. Basically, he figures it out that this 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 young man he he sees who um, you know does something heroic. Um, he realizes and puts all the pieces together that this person is his son. That his son, who he's so worried about and so worried about protecting and, and caring for because of him losing his sight, his disabled son, he realizes that he doesn't have to worry at all, that his son is a fighter, uh, that his son can take care of himself, and that uh, he doesn't like he can he can go out on top, he can do the right thing, and his son's going to be all right, and that they, they can threaten his son, and um, but his son can handle it. And that, that's such a... Um, it's so it changes everything about that final battle, and again, it's never been referenced anywhere else. And to be honest, they couldn't. There's no way for them to ever reference it because it's the, something the character realizes and knows. And it's almost more of a tragedy because Daredevil himself will never know this. Daredevil is always wondering what his dad would think of him, what his dad would think of him becoming Daredevil. Would he approve of it? Because his dad didn't want him to be a, a pug like him. Didn't want him to be a someone who used their fists. He wanted him to be a lawyer to beat somebody to to you know get think his way out of problems instead of fighting his way out of them. And that, so it's just so fascinating that what makes this book change in a, on a dime and makes it such a great uh, story is that how it allows Jack Murdoch to go out on top feeling triumphant, uh, feeling that it's okay, 
for him to go. It's okay for him to know that he's going to die after he wins this fight because his son doesn't need him, that he was able to raise his son, to, and his son is a fighter. He's fighter. His son is going to be somebody. He's going to be a lawyer, but he's also going to be able to stick up for himself as well, and he doesn't need to worry about him and take care of him. So as a parent myself, like this, is, this really speaks on a lot of different levels, and it's a tragedy because Matt will never know this. Um, so when he finally kind of puts the pieces together, I mean, the way that Domenico, um shows it and how you have um, Jack gets to his feet and realizes that he's, you know, he can do this, he can fight, um, that, you know, he, I'm just, uh, for a moment, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read some of the narration because I think it's really strong. Um, he goes, Matt's walking stick. How could I be so blind? My boy isn't weak. My boy is strong. So tonight I can be strong. So again, I love that this, this idea that he's able to take strength because he realizes that everything's going to be all right with his son. Uh, he gets up and he says, you know, let's do this. And then the internal narration takes over. I am my own man, brave and strong, strong for my son, strong for Josie. So again, like at this point, he's fallen in love with Josie and he's able to take out Creole and knock him out. And uh, he knows that, that that's it. And after, as he leaves, uh, you know, he tells Josie everything's going to be okay. Um, he tells Josie to, you know, take her money because she bet on him. Uh, leave, you know, because now that she could invest in the bar and everything, he t- says, you know, you should leave for a couple weeks. I got to take care of some stuff. Uh, he knows he's about to die, um, which, again, is a tragedy and a triumph for the character. He's trying to provide for Josie. Um, uh, he, you know, because before the fight, he was so worried that you know he's going to make Josie lose everything. But instead, she's going to she's she has everything. She's going to have all this money. Um, he tells his son, you know, uh, that he maybe he should retire. Uh, he acknowledges that you know Matt can take care of himself. That he's a he's a man. Um, he apologizes to his son and says that he's so proud of him. And then Matt leaves, and the you know the fixer basically puts him in an, in an alley. They beat him up, and they tell him that you know. He's like, you know, you better shoot me or, you know, shut up. And they, they're about to punch him. They're sorry. They're about to kill him. And they're like, boss wants to hear you scream, Murdoch. And he's just like, screw you. And he's like, oh, you ain't scared, tough guy. Maybe after we're done with you, maybe we'll go get your boy. Maybe we'll make him deaf and dumb, too. What do you think about that, Murdoch? You think we should see your boy? And this is part of what I think really makes this this book really sing for me and makes it such a strong read is Matt. Uh, sorry, not Matt. Jack looks at the, at the men who are about to murder him, and he knows he's about to die, and he just laughs. And he's like, <laughs> you, you do that, huh? You go see my boy. And he starts laughing. I wish I could be there. And he just starts laughing, and he's just... The next shot is you just see from the, uh, the street... Um, there's laughing coming from the alley and it just gets louder and louder and louder. And then you just see a pop and the, the, uh, the, th- the thugs walk away and it's over. They've killed them. They think they've won. And, but Matt knows that it's not over that, you know, they, they've got nothing on him. If they go after his son, his son can defend himself. His son will be able to take them out. And, um, it's just, it just changes the way that I'll ever, view Jack Murdoch going forward that whenever I read a Jack Murdoch story because there's always going to be flashbacks to Jack but oh, usually within the context of what Matt's thinking and every time you read one of those it, you, you can think Jack knows, Jack knew when Jack dies, Jack knows exactly who Matt is and it, again it's the tragedy that you know it, right before his father dies, his father knows everything about his son and is able to 
you know, be proud of him in a way. And even though he says he's proud of him, Matt will never truly understand exactly where Jack is coming from and that Jack really does know. So again, this book works on so many different levels. Uh, it's a great, great love story. It's a great just... It's a great story about a man struggling to do his best by his son, a son that he didn't even realize he was going to be stuck with as an, as an only uh, parent, as a, um, a, um, a single father, able to kind of push through. He's got all these, his own personal demons as, a, as a, you know, a former drunk, as a fighter who's been washed out, trying to get his you know, way back in the comeback trail, and then realizing it was all a sham. Like, there's just so much character work going in here. There's so many different levels, and yet it's so effortlessly written by Zeb Wells, and again, brilliantly illustrated by Carmine Di Domenico. I really do recommend that you pick this up, or you, you buy it on Comixology, or you figure out a way to read this book, because it's a phenomenally written miniseries, and illustrated miniseries, I should say. Uh, it's a great book. Whenever I go back to it, it's just such a pleasure to read. It's you know, it, just because it's such good character work. So thank you for uh, allowing me um, to get on this soapbox and ramble on for 23 minutes about this fantastic book that I read almost nine years ago. Um, it, I Daredevil is going to be one of my favorite characters forever, and this was just so unique to me. And uh, this is what I miss about them taking a chance in the Marvel Knights line and doing books that are very different. I remember they did the Silver Surfer book where it's all about the Silver Surfer dying, which is very much out of continuity. Again, a great book. I I could do you know a, a whole episode just talking about some of these amazing miniseries that came out of this specific version of the Marvel Knights line in the back end of the line when they were doing these kind of... Um, um, not not prestige books per se, but they definitely felt that way. They they were doing these, not necessarily higher concept, but doing different types of books uh, that weren't necessarily you know incurred in continuity or in any continuity that we knew of, and just telling its own story to tell a strong story with the specific characters they were focused on. Again, if we look at uh, Submariner of the Depths, has nothing to do with current continuity at all, or even potentially real Marvel continuity. It was a very different story. It was a horror story about Submariner who who's really more of the antagonist and it works in so many different levels and that book is claustrophobic you're, you're in the ocean um, you get the sense that anything could happen and, and it's a deadly book um, but yeah, if you can pick up Daredevil Battling Jack Murdock, you won't be disappointed um, it's a phenomenal book if you're a fan of Daredevil if you don't even need to be a fan of Daredevil you just need to be a fan of a, a character study because there's not a lot of superheroes in this and at all I mean, all there is, again, is a very young Matt Murdock who's starting to use his powers and that's about it otherwise, it's just a story about a down and out boxer trying to do his best by his son and this girl who, who's fallen for him and, um, and what his life ends up coming to when he finally does pass away. So this is a phenomenal book. I definitely recommend it. You should pick it up. Uh, any method you have available to you to, to track it down, you should do so. So thanks for listening to this episode. You can uh, rate and review us uh, or on iTunes. You can uh, like us on Facebook. Uh, subscribe to us on iTunes as well. You can listen to us on Stitcher. Uh, our next episode in probably four or five, six days or less. It might come out Friday. I'm not sure yet. Uh, is our second conversation with Danny Fingeroth, uh, which I hope you are going to enjoy. It was a lot of fun talking to him about his tenure again at Marvel. This is our second episode with him. And to be honest, I could probably do many episodes. Um, he's just a phenomenal guest and he's very entertaining uh, and a great perspective because he was working on Marvel at such an interesting time and on an interesting title because a title of books 
or sorry, a series of books because he was writing, sorry, editing the Spider-Man books during the early '90s, and you know that's just such a f- fascinating time period to talk about with the Clone Saga, Max- Maximum Carnage, and books like that. Anyways, thanks for joining us for this episode. Um, this has been episode, I believe, 342. Uh, thanks for joining us. We'll catch you next time. Bye-bye.